Howard W. Hunter said your detours and disappointments are the straight and narrow way back to Him. And there are so many scriptures that tell us that all things will work together for our good. So how do you turn your detours as a parent into something that will work together for your good and for the good of the most important people in your life, your family? Join me in this podcast and let's talk about it. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to pop in here real quick and tell you about a special masterclass that I'll be teaching in October. This class will be Thursday, the 14th of October from 11 to 12 a.m. Mountain Time. And if you can't attend live, this is an online class, but if you can't attend live, no worries because it will be recorded and you'll receive a, a link to watch the recording. Now, this masterclass this month is called How to Love Your Child Without Condoning Their Actions. This is a question that I get asked all the time as a coach by parents, and I knew I wanted to make a special masterclass to teach people what it looks like to love your child without condoning. And it might be a little different than you think. So make sure you register for that on my website, tinagosney.com, on the Work With Me page. You can find a link to sign up for the masterclass on October 14th. This week on the podcast, I had a really special guest, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. If you're not following her on social media or just following her work in general, I highly suggest that you do so. She has so many great things to share with members of the church that help us strengthen our relationships. Now, this conversation that we had is really a two-part discussion, and you're getting part one today. We talk about what happened after Elder Holland's talk in August and the growing divide and the divisiveness in the church between the LGBTQ members and their families and allies and those who find themselves on the other side. And we talked about ways that we can come together and start building some bridges between these two communities and have more unity in the church. So tune in next week for part two and enjoy this conversation that I had with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Today on the podcast, I'm so fortunate to have Dr. Finlayson Fife. And if you're not familiar with her, she is an active member of the LDS Church. She has a lot of online courses. She's a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois, and she contributes to a lot of podcasts, blogs, and magazines on relationships and sexuality and spiritual matters. So Jennifer, welcome to this podcast, and I'm so happy to have you here. I know the conversation that we're going to have is going to be just a really great one, but if there's some people that aren't familiar with you, what else would you like to tell them about yourself? Uh, let's see. Um, I'm married and I have three children that are um, young adult to teenager in their age ranges. And um, let's see, I'm trying to think. I grew up in, in Vermont, went to Brigham Young University for my undergrad, and then came back to New England for my for my PhD. Yeah. Okay, great. And you are, I know, such a big contributor to different um, media sources and very vocal in the things that you talk about. And that's so appreciated because you have a lot of great things to say. So we have a couple different topics we're going to talk about today. Um, and let's just get the big one out of the way first. Let's talk sure. about, let's talk about um, 
Elder Holland's talk, and we're not really going to talk about the talk as much as we're going to talk about what happened after the talk. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of LDS parents that have LGBTQ kids that are struggling to find a place where they belong at church. I happen yes. to be one of them, so I, I relate to how they're feeling. Um, yes. Many, uh, many of them are active, faithful, lifelong churchgoers. And even yes. like even like me, who like my ancestors are mentioned in the Doctrine of Covenants. I mean, we go back mm. that far, you know, mm. and to have leaders and many of them are even leaders in the church who are having children that are coming out as LGBTQ. And we just are really feeling like struggling to be heard and understood at church. So as, as of when we're recording this, it's about three weeks after the talk Mm -hmm. and many parents are still hurting Mm -hmm. and feeling really wounded. And many parents that don't have kids that fit into that category I've seen, you know, saying like, why are you hurt? There was nothing hurtful in that talk. It was just full of love. And they're just not able to understand. And it seems like there's a really a growing divide and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger between the LGBTQ community and their families and loved ones and the people that are not in that group. And it seems like that divide is just growing bigger all the time. And we really mm-hmm. want to talk about how can we begin to close that divide and find some more unity and understanding in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's really a challenging question uh, mm-hmm. uh, for so many reasons. I think let me just see if I can articulate some of my thoughts that are still very much in progress. I mean, yeah. <laughs> to say, I don't feel like, okay, I've got this all nailed down by any stretch in my own mind. I mean, I do agree that Elder Holland's talk had a warmth and earnestness to it. And I can appreciate his desire to kind of define the borders and to preserve something that's very special about BYU, which I agree with that, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, I loved my time at BYU for many of the reasons he was speaking about. There is a kind of vision and goal and specialness about the institution that I think is worthwhile and worth really discerning what that quality is and trying to preserve it, right? And I think part of it is this, of earnestness about who we are, what kind of people we are trying to be, what it means to pursue a Christ-like um, way of being in the world, a kind of, t- you know, taking our, our choices and our principles seriously. And, you know, that we, the, the other thing I can sort of appreciate in the talk is that we are very much in a tension well, we're always in a tension between orthodoxy and development, um, between a kind of willingness to apply what does orthodoxy mean, in a sense, in a new context, in a new meaning frame. What does it mean to be Christ-like when you have a child who, who comes out as LGBTQ, right? What is that how do we reconcile what this means for us? 
So there is a tension that always exists within any faith tradition around how do you apply what it really means, what the highest is in our faith to a new context and a new meaning. There's also a tension, I think, that's going on in the country and in the world at large, which is much more divisiveness within sort of political positions and identities and visions about where the world should go. And I think this is in part because of social media and people being able to kind of get locked into these very insular conversations that reinforce a kind of self-righteousness. So I think, I think President Holland was appealing to this. There is so much division and I don't want to contribute to it mm-hmm. is I think what he was trying to say. But I think for a lot of people, they took that talk to be a validation of their own rejection. I think perhaps making something very simple that isn't at all simple, right? Oh, President Holland loves these kids. What's your problem? Mm -hmm. That's to simplify something that's much deeper and harder than that statement. Yeah. And so, you know, I can see how that kind of simple mindedness drives division and drives more suffering especially for earnest members of the church who very much want to belong, who want their children to belong, who want a space for the, for the, you know, the child that they know and love and understand and value and know their pain and know their struggle to be told you are loved, but you're, you're wrong or you can't really love someone down the road. You can't, really accept who you are, except to think of it as somehow wrong, that, that what it means to say you love that person rings hollow, I think. And I think parents know it most. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I talked with Tom Christofferson a couple months ago. I did an interview with him and we talked about this and he talked about how, you know, the signs that we have out in the front of our building say visitors welcome but there's a whole group of members that don't feel welcome. That's right. And that we need to realize that that's a reality for a lot of people. And he said, you know, I wanted it to say all are welcome. He said, but now I feel like I would rather have it say, we love mercy or something like you can find mercy here because the very mercy that we all are wanting for ourselves, oftentimes there's a whole group of people we're not allowing ourselves to extend mercy to, and we're wanting yes. it ourselves. Yes. I think that's very wise. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, in some ways, one of our strengths as an institution is our high behavioral expectations and a kind of clear definition of what it is to belong. I mean, it, that can be a strength because it pressures you to kind of rise up and do hard things and live up to an expectation that might stretch you beyond what's comfortable, but it can also become a liability rather quickly when it's, when those ends in and of themselves become the faith, (laughs) become the idea of what it is to be Christian is to conform to these behavioral ideas 
rather than what are we really about? Are we really embracing a kind of mercy and compassion for our flawed and human state that we are all occupying? None of us is above that. Right. And are we able to really offer that kind of compassion and openness that we all are in need of and that Christ modeled? And I mean, I think at a minimum, no one can or ought to be in simple judgment about these issues. They're, it's arrogant and unloving. And I really believe in a theology that is saying love leads the way to understanding truth. Not that here's the principles and we love you, but, you know, mm -hmm. do these things or you're the problem. Right. Um, I, I think that's what Christ was actually teaching against is that we don't make our ideology more important than love because then it becomes blasphemous. So when it means that you love, it means you let knowing that other person inform your notion of an understanding of what is true and of God, because God expresses himself through all of us, through what is here. And so, you know, I remember when I was um, just starting my master's program and I was trying so hard to kind of make everything fit a sort of predetermined idea. And I had a colleague who was, I was at Boston College, which is a Jesuit school. He'd grown up Catholic and he was gay. And he was just like one of the most delightful people. He just was kind, open, good to everyone, like such a likable human being. And that scared me. I mean, I know that sounds <laughs> awful, but for me, it was like I needed him to fit into a box yeah. of having something wrong so that I could justify the ideology that made me comfortable. Right. And I knew in my own spiritual conversations with God that I was being dishonest and that I wasn't being fair or loving. And then I needed to open my heart and know this person as a way of understanding God and humanity and let that inform my thinking to mm -hmm. not let my fear and self-reinforcement be more important than another child of God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and after the talk, my husband and I had, you know, after Hel Elder Holland's talk, we had a couple of days of pretty intense discussion about you know, our feelings about it. Um, we don't even have any kids at BYU, but it was just, mm. still, I was thinking like, there are a lot of people that do have children at BYU who mm -hmm. are in this position. And, and if I did have a child that was there, how would I be feeling? And I felt, I think I did feel a lot of those things that those parents are feeling right now. Mm. And so we decided, you know, using this podcast, that's pretty new. We just launched it this summer mm. that we needed to tell our story. Mm -hmm. And I love how you said, as you got to know him, mm -hmm. you realized you had to challenge some ideas that you had mm -hmm. and not put him in a box. And I, I believe that parents like me and people like my son, when we're willing to open ourselves up to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and share our stories with others, that more of that kind of understanding yeah. 
and getting out of the box can can start to happen. Absolutely. When we get into ideological fights, I mean, to me, it feels like a little bit what was trying to be addressed a bit in the talk was that there was people who were saying that the campus is feeling too liberal and too, you know, like like a different institution than the one that I want it to be or want to donate money to. And it feels more this is about ideology and identity uh, rather than keeping our faith around knowing and being known, loving others, letting ourselves be expanded through caring for other people and not judging them in any simple-minded way. Mm-hmm. That that in and of itself is transformational of both people. And so it's, it's, it's incredibly important and yet always hard to do or often hard to do, at least for me it is when it's outside of what I know or outside of what fits in my thinking, it's easy to want to reduce people to a stereotype um, that, we, you know, we, so we do so much of that now from yeah. both political sides of the aisle, but, you know, it's just so much of vilification and self-reinforcement and it's antithetical to our Christianity. Yeah. Unfortunately, like you said, it is just so much more prevalent in the world right now. It maybe for, maybe it's driven by social media. I don't know. That's probably a big contributor. But hopefully in the church where we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we can learn to overcome that yeah. part of the world and, right. and embrace a higher way of being and not get caught up in that divisiveness. Absolutely. Yes. If we are anything, we have to do that. That's where the courage is. I mean you know, arrogance and professing how we get it and other people don't, that's really low level religion. Mm-hmm. Opening your heart up to what you don't understand, you know, that's much more challenging, but it's where it's where the wisdom is. It's where the answers are. It's like, you know, if you just think, why are people so crazy that they think X, Y, Z? Well, there's a reason actually. And yeah. <laughs> usually most of us need to settle down enough to start thinking about yeah. how do, how does this person think and why do they think differently than me? And what am I misunderstanding about life and human beings and reality that I can't make sense of it? Like maybe I should settle down and try and understand that's where we get wiser as a community and a society. Our divisiveness will destroy us. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's a whole group of people that are saying there's a problem and another group of people that are saying you're the problem, you just need to conform. There's some there's some things that we need to be some introspection that needs to happen. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, I was thinking that the last few days about and I don't know why this popped into my mind, but I was thinking about um, in the scriptures when Christ, they're having the the last supper Mm. and he talks about one of you is going to betray me Mm. and all of, all of the apostles say, well, is it I? Mm. And I thought that's, I've always thought that's kind of a strange thing to ask because wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know if that was your thought? And if you had the intention of betraying Christ, like, why would you ask him if it was you? Because wouldn't you already know? But as I looked at that a little harder this week and I thought, it kind of feeds into what I've been trying to do in my life the last few years 
in that somebody tells me somebody something about their experience of me that I've hurt them in some way or that they're experiencing me in a way that's hurtful. And for me just to take a step back and say, okay, what did I do? Mm-hmm. What is my part in this? Mm-hmm. And if I can't find anything that I did, maybe just to appreciate that that's their experience of me. Yeah. And I think it's right. really interesting that like none of the apostles pointed a finger and said, well, it's got to be you. Or maybe you're right. the one. They all looked inward and yeah. because they'd been hanging out with Christ for three years. Yeah. At this point, you know, <laughs> yeah. But they right. were like, maybe I need to take a look at myself and find like, what are my intentions and what are my thoughts and feelings? And is there a possibility yeah. it'd be me? And maybe right. this is maybe this is part of the answer in that yeah, that absolutely. we all do some introspection and say, how am I contributing? And if I don't find any way that I'm contributing to the divisiveness, how can I appreciate that somebody is experiencing me in that way? Yeah, I absolutely love that. I mean, it's very much something I talk about a lot in the couples work that I do, that that self-confrontation, looking at your own role in the problem. First of all, it's the only part you have control over, but seeing your own mind, your own limitations, looking at what you don't know who you are not yet is the pathway into deeper wisdom into greater spiritual capacity it's counterintuitive because it's so much more human and easy to feel self-justified and look at the error that we see in other people and we're usually right about the error that we see in other people i mean it's easy to see where people are blind to themselves mm-hmm. that's the moat the moat beam idea is that you can see the beam or which way is it? The boat. You can see the boat, but you don't realize you have this massive beam in your own eye and that you're really, you're not in a position to judge, but also your, your vision and understanding is actually impaired by that beam. And so it's not until we address, this is again, not easy to do it because it pressures our growth and pressures our humility and that recognition that we're wrong so it's very, or that we have been misguided about something. So it's, it's hard to self-correct. I like, I know I always resist it. I, really? I, never, I never enjoy it, but yeah. it's like, that is the pathway into wisdom and deeper unity within a group. You really yeah. can't, you don't get unity by suppressing the part of the group you don't like. Mm-hmm. It's not like just making those people go away and then we're going to be happy over here. No, how are we going to, come to a greater understanding. And that means bringing your level of understanding and intelligence up through knowing what you don't know yet, through understanding what you don't yet understand. And because we like self-reinforcement so much, myself included, it's it's very easy to not do that. And I think self social media is making this especially challenging because you can go find your respective echo chamber and think you've got it all sorted but it interferes with the real ability to raise your understanding and wisdom and the ability to solve. But I think that's what is demanded of us to really become a Christian people, to really become the body of Christ that truly lets knowing and loving the group evolve the group. Yeah. And it is one of the hardest things to look at yourself and say, okay, what did I do here yeah. to contribute to this? 
And how yeah. am how am I wrong? And what can I do to help solve this? Yes. Problem? One of the hardest things that you're going to do. Yes. But exactly. I love I like how you said it's what's required of us in order to elevate ourselves. Yeah. Individually and collectively. Absolutely. It's always the way. And I have to remind myself of this during those difficult moments where you have to look at yourself, but you get the reward of greater unity, greater understanding, greater peace in yourself, in your relationships, in those that you love. It's, it's well worth the cost of your, your ego. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it when you start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You end up getting there, but just the, yeah, the beginning part of that is pretty painful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And after, after the talk, I think probably for the first, at least the first week, I saw a lot of social media posts that were talking about, you know, those people and they, and there's a lot of language mm. about that. And yeah. I even saw one article, I think it came out about a week later, but the title was what he said is not what they heard. And that language alone, like just reading yeah. the title from that felt a little painful to me. And I would say that people that are not on my side of the canyon Mm. that know that that's directed towards them don't even recognize that there's language here that's being used to other Mm. a group of people. Mm. But what I didn't see is language like we and us, which is inclusive. Right. That's right. That's the language we need. Right. Part of us is hurting. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do we build a meaningful bridge? One that uh, makes us stronger, that's more Christian, more loving, uh, even allowing us to tolerate what we don't know, what we don't yet have solutions for. I mean, I know my son went through a hard time a couple of years ago and I would ask him like, what was going on? Why was he having a hard time? And it was so hard for me to listen like I'm a professional listener, but it was so hard for me to listen to my own son talk about his struggle with depression and self-doubt because I felt helpless to solve it. And because I felt like impotent and powerless in a way, I would, I mean, I'd sort of go into solutions, but it was actually more about my anxiety and wanting there to be simple solutions than in a way just being understanding him and tolerating that I didn't have the control or power that I wanted to have, that I couldn't just morph the reality into the one that I preferred. And so that was interfering with my ability to love him, my own struggle with self-regulation and was interfering with knowing him and loving him through knowing him. And he said to me, you know, once he was getting some help and kind of thinking through it, he said, you know, you, you're not a very good listener, mom. You know, he said that. (laughs) And then, you know, but also just like that it would make him feel broken when, when he could see that I couldn't sort of tolerate going into the dark with him a bit and being with him. And so that was instructive for me to see, you know, how sometimes love is hard because there aren't easy solutions because the world isn't as simple as we want it to be. Um, But that is still the pathway to really 
helping others, loving others, strengthening and becoming better ourselves. Yeah. Knowing and being known is like easy to say. It's the hardest thing to do. Yes. (laughs) But it's so foundational (laughs) to relationships and to understanding and growth in those. That's right. And to Christianity, because that's really how we talk about our relationship to the divine, our relationship to each other is about knowing and being known. It's an intimacy that's at the core of Christianity. Yeah. So that just like goes back again to like, are we willing to include people and make them a part of us and hear their stories and their struggles? Exactly. Yes. I hope we can face ourselves enough to grow in that direction and hang in there with each other. Yeah. What other advice do you think, like what other things that we could do to build a bridge that we haven't talked about already to have some more understanding between, you know, this, this big Canyon of divide. I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I think, you know, when I was younger in my development and I would see things that I thought were wrong at church, I would feel so lonely and angry at church sometimes because I'd be trying to get other people to see it my way and to understand it the way I understood it. And I wanted people to give me the validation that I wasn't crazy for having the issues I was having with, with various things. And, um, I got much happier and I think was more able to be helpful when I stopped making others legitimize my perspective or dissent and took it up more profoundly with myself and with God and came to peace with me and -hmm. stopped asking everybody else to see things the same way. (laughs) And then I didn't have to fight people. I could just hold my own, not in a defiant way, not in an unloving way, just an unapologetic way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that I would say at church, I think, I think the temple needs to change. Right in very much the way it did change. <laughs> I think, you know, I would say things like, I think our position on LGBTQ issues or whatever we said back then, but you know, is wrong, mm-hmm. um, is limited. So it, it would just be more like I'm owning who I am. I'm not here to fight you or take you down, but I'm not going to mask who I am either because right. that's in a way being complicit in the, you know, as Joseph Smith said, in proving contraries, truth is made manifest. So that's the idea that in the contrary positions, in the tension of that, you can come to what's really true. If we silence ourselves at church, and I'm not talking about getting on a bandwagon and, and getting in a self-righteous position, but to have more intimacy at church, that is to speak more honestly. I do a lot of retreats, like women's retreats and couples retreats and things. And a lot of times after the women's retreat, you know, people start to get very honest over the course of three days and are talking honestly about themselves, their relationship to sexuality, to their in their marriages. And a lot of women comment, like, I wish Relief Society were like this. I wish it felt like this. 
But, you know, my response to that is it can be that way. The reason it doesn't is because of the complicity in a dishonest narrative, not being truthful enough about who you are, what your experiences are, why you think as you do, and this pretense around the narrative of how you're supposed to be. It makes everybody go home and feel depressed and lonely and a sense that they're defective because they're not the only one. And they think they're the only ones when I, as a counselor know, you're not the only one. Everybody feels that way. Right. So it's, so it, when we do that to each other and ourselves, we drive loneliness, but we also interfere with our growth as a community and as a group. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge I put to people is be more honest, not to get everybody to think like you, but to at least own how you think. Mm Mm-hmm own honestly how you really feel. And when it's in that I'm sharing myself, it's much harder to drive um, division. It's much harder for it to drive division. When you're trying to get someone to think like you and validate your point of view, they're going to usually entrench in their position and fight you back. Yeah. But if you're just saying for me, I feel this way for these reasons in my honest heart, this is how I see it. Well, somebody may still disagree with you, of course, but it's not, it's at least them understanding another person's experience, another person's perspective and being like, well, she's not crazy, even though she, I don't like her idea, but you know, like at least (laughs) it kind of makes them consider their idea. Yeah. And I think that's intimacy, knowing and being known, letting ourselves be knowable is a driver of, of growth. Yeah, I love that. And we definitely need more of that in our meetings. Mm-hmm. And we for sure. can find more empathy and unity. Yes. Sure if we're willing to open ourselves up that way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed the first half of my interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And make sure you tune in next week for part two. Part two is actually answering listeners' most difficult questions about their children, things that they're just kind of stuck on and they don't know how to move forward and what to do about. So make sure you tune in next week for part two of this amazing interview that I had with Dr. Finlayson Fife. And make sure that you are registering for my October Masterclass, How to Love Your Child Unconditionally Without Condoning Their Actions. October 14th from 11 to 12 a.m. on Zoom. You can always get the replay if you can't attend live. So go to tinagosney.com and get registered today. And I'll see you next week.